بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم in the name of Allah the most beneficent the most merciful I testify that there is no true God worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's true slave and messenger may Allah's salah and salam be upon the Prophet his noble and pure family and on the noble companions and those who follow on their path until the day of resurrection uh, inshallah ta'ala tonight we're going to talk about tafsir what is the meaning of tafsir and uh, this is the fourth lecture concerning the aspects of understanding the foundations of uh, this great matter uh, in this matter is the understanding of the noble Quran or its explanation the word tafsir linguistically comes from the Arabic al-fasr it comes from the Arabic al-fasr which means unraveling that which is covered and uh, technically or Islamically the meaning is bayanu ma'ani al-Quran al-Kareem clarifying or explaining the meaning of the noble Quran and this matter is wajib, this matter is obligatory uh, concerning all that which man needs and as to those which he may not need then learning that would be a collective duty not an individual duty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah Sa'd chapter 38 verse 29 Kitabun anzalnahu ilayka mubarakun liyaddabbaru ayatihi wa liyatadhakkara ulul albab This is a book, which is the Qur'an, which we have sent down to you, full of blessings, that they may ponder or think deeply over its verses, and that men of understanding may remember. Furthermore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمْ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا In Surah Muhammad, chapter 47 verse chapter 47 uh, think first uh, check verse uh, 8 please shouldn't they ponder the Quran أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ It's Muhammad 24, chapter 47, 24, okay. Do they not think deeply 
regarding the Quran or are their hearts locked up from understanding it? Now, the point of evidence from the point of evidence from the first verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Sa'd 38-29 which was cited earlier I'm sorry, 38 verse 29 This is a Quran which we have sent to you a blessed Quran so that they ponder on its verses and that people of understanding give thought here in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making it clear concerning the wisdom concerning the wisdom from sending down this blessed Quran and it is said here why? so that people ponder over its verses and get admonition and receive admonition in these verses and this pondering is to think about the words so that one can reach or attain their meanings otherwise then the wisdom would be missed from sending the Quran and it would be just words without any meanings or without any effects and in addition there would be no benefit in terms of the admonition without understanding the meaning of the verses this is the this is what is deducted from this verse which is verse number 24 as to what is deducted from the second verse from 47 24 from uh, yes okay do they not think yes deeply in the Quran what's deducted from this verse is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rebuking and scolding those who don't ponder and think deeply about the Quran and he, he made it also clear, he indicated that this is due to their hearts locked up no good reaching it the righteous predecessors of this ummah were on this way were on learning the meaning of the Noble Quran learning its wording and its meanings so that they can act accordingly as Allah intends Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami rahimahullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu said those who used to teach us the Quran told us and he named them Uthman bin Affan, Abdullah bin Mas'ud and others that whenever they learned from the Prophet وسلم, 10 verses they would not exceed them until they know what they imply from the knowledge and actions and they the companions said فَتَعَلَّمْنَا الْقُرْآنَ وَالْعِلْمَ وَالْعَمَلَ جَمِيعًا and thus we learn the Qur'an and knowledge meaning what it means وَالْعَمَل and acting accordingly to this knowledge according to this knowledge all together so 
So they didn't exceed ten verses without knowing their meanings and acting in accordance. Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said and it is accustomed to know that no people would read a book in any kind of a field whether it is from medicine arithmetic without seeking to understand it so then how about the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the one who provides them with security and through this book there is their salvation and their happiness and the establishment of their religion and their lives I mean it couldn't be and it is the duty of the people of knowledge to make it clear to the people the explaining of the noble Quran by way of writing or verbally because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-Imran chapter 3 verse 187 And remember when Allah took a covenant from those who were given the scripture, meaning the Jews and the Christians, to make it, meaning the news of coming of the Prophet ﷺ and the religious knowledge, known and clear to mankind, and not to hide it. But they threw it away behind their backs and purchased with it some miserable gain. And indeed, worse is that which they bought. So here, Tabiun al-Kitab lin-Nas, making it clear to mankind, is a comprehensive term indicating that making its words and its meanings clear and thus this verse tells us that explaining the Quran is from the covenant which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took from the people of knowledge so that they make this matter known to the people now comes the following question what is the objective from, from learning or behind learning the tafsir the explanation of the Quran the objective is to attain the noble goals and the magnificent benefits signified in first believing in its news second benefiting from its news thirdly applying its rules applying its rules in accordance with the way intended by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that he Allah the most high is worshipped based upon knowledge
<coughs> so I would like to repeat this section inshallah ta'ala the purpose behind learning the tafsir the meaning of the noble Quran is to attain its noble objectives noble goals and benefits and magnificent benefits signified in التصديق بأخباره والانتفاع بها believing in the news and benefiting from the news therein second thirdly applying the rules in accordance with the way intended by Allah so that Allah be worshipped based upon knowledge Think for example of the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concerning the, the prophets, the prophets of the previous nations. Allah said concerning them, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ In their narrations on the, yes, there was a lesson to learn. And similarly when you read in the Noble Quran, the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that for example inna Allah sami'un basir verily Allah is all seer all hearer so one should benefit from this the effect of this should manifest it should manifest itself in having awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fearing him The duty upon the Muslim concerning the tafsir of the Quran is to make himself feel to make himself feel that when he is making the explanation he is like acting like an quote unquote interpreter on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. trying to manifest what is intended from the words of Allah and this is a very very difficult task and thus this entails that he should be magnifying such a process fearing to utter about Allah without knowledge and thus fall in that which Allah forbade and be doomed on the day of resurrection قال الله تعالى الله سبحانه وتعالى said قل إنما حرم ربي الفواحش ما ظهر منها وما بطن والإثم والبغي بغير الحق وأن تشركوا بالله ما لم ينزل به سلطانا وأن تقولوا على الله ما لا تعلمون in سورة الأعراف chapter 7 verse 33 Say, O Muhammad but the things that my Lord has indeed forbidden are al-fawahish 
And these are great evil sins, every kind of unlawful sexual intercourse, etc. Whether committed openly or secretly, this is one thing. Then sins of all kinds, unrighteous oppression, joining partners in worship with Allah for which he has given no authority, and look at the last statement, and saying things about Allah of which you have no knowledge. and saying things about Allah of which you have no knowledge here the corruption or the evil implicated in such a matter where saying things about Allah of which you have no knowledge is not limited to the person but it trans- transcends his individual aspect to others and that's why therefore it is even more dangerous than shirk the mushrik, the one who ascribes partners to Allah in worship hurts himself and if he is guided then this corruption is lifted However, with respect to this one, the one who says about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge, his corruption transcends himself to others. Also contemplate the verse in Surah Al-Zumar, which we listen to tonight, 39 verse 60, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ تَرَى الَّذِينَ كَذَبُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ وُجُوهُهُمْ مُسْوَدَّةِ أَلَيْسَ فِي جَهَنَّمَا مَثْوًا لِلْمُتَكَبِّرِينَ And on the day of resurrection you will see those who lied against Allah whether this lying is in the form of attributing sonship to him, partners, etc. saying things which are wrong attributing this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala their faces will be black is there not in hell an abode for the arrogant ones now we go as to what are the references of tafsir what are the references of tafsir we refer in tafsir to the following I would like yani, everyone inshallah to take notes if possible concerning this important matter we refer in tafsir in the concerning the explanation of the meaning of the noble Quran to the following first of all our first reference is the words of Allah in the sense that the Quran explains the Quran and he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the one who sent 
down the Quran and he is the one who knows about his intent and for this let's have the following examples let us see how the Quran explains the Quran take for example in Surah Yunus chapter 10 verse 62 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us as the awliya who are the awliya Ala inna awliya Allahi la khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahzanun verily the awliya of Allah now he put explanation here but let's go for, for the without, as if there is no explanation let's take these parentheses uh, these things in parentheses out verily ألا إن ألا ألا إن أولياء الله لا خوف عليهم ولا هم يحزنون. Who are the awliya of Allah? ألا إن أولياء الله verily the awliya of Allah. Shall have no fear and shall not grieve, meaning on the day of resurrection. But who are the awliya of Allah? Allah explained the awliya in the next verse, right after this verse, where He said, defining them, الذين آمنوا وكانوا يتقون. الذين آمنوا, those who believed and وكانوا يتقون. And they feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are therefore the awliya. This is the meaning of the awliya. The awliya of Allah. No fear shall come upon them. Nor shall they grieve. Who are the awliya? The next verse explained it. Those who believed in Allah and His oneness and uniqueness. And used to fear Allah much. And the fear of Allah means abstaining from all that which Allah forbade and doing all that which Allah commanded to the best of one's ability so here the Quran explained the Quran the Quran explained the Quran let's take another example in Surah Al-Tariq in Surah Al-Tariq Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Tariq starts with the following 86 Chapter 86 Chapter uh, the, those ones before from Surah Yunus chapter 10 62 and 63 are from chapter 10 chapter 10 which is Surah Yunus Now let's talk about the other one, 86, Surah At-Tariq. At-Tariq, 86. wa tariq by the heaven and At-Tariq. Okay, forget about what's in, in parentheses now. Follow please and look. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ tariq And what will make you to know what At-Tariq is? 
Forget about what's in the parentheses now, okay? Then the explanation came, 8063. It is, yes, it is the star of piercing brightness. This is the explanation. It came right after that. And what will make you know, make you to know as to what a tariq is, it is the star of piercing brightness. It's the brightness which dissipates the darkness also. And piercing, piercing the devils who try to sneak and grasp the what goes on regarding the affairs as they are revealed to the angels so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends upon them pier uh, piercing flames and it also means the piercing brightness which lightens the the darkness take another example in Surah Al-Nazi'at chapter 30 I'm sorry chapter 79 verse 30 Surah Al-Nazi'at 79 30 what is the meaning of Dahaha? the Quran explains the Quran والأرض بعد ذلك دحاها. The term dahaha came explained in the next two verses as we will see inshallah in the text. And after that he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, spread the earth dahaha. Okay, and okay. There أخرج منها ماءها ومرعاها والجبال عرسا and brought forth there from its water and its pasture and the mountains he has fixed her so here again the term Dahaha is explained in these two verses 31 and 32 so in summary therefore concerning the first point is that the Quran explains the Quran So this is the first reference. The second reference is the wording of Rasulullah wasallam, the sayings of the Prophet or the Messenger of Allah wasallam. It explains the Quran by the Sunnah because the Prophet wasallam, informs on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thus he is the most knowledgeable of mankind concerning the intent of Allah what Allah intends by his words and for this there are many examples let's take a few take for example in Surah Al-Zumar verse 13, uh, chapter 39 
39 verse 60 للذين أحسنوا الحسنى وزيادة This would be, I'm sorry, it would be in Yunus 26. In Yunus chapter 10, 26. This will be in Yunus chapter 10, 26. And for those who have done good is the best of reward. Okay? Now, and even more, and even more. Who explained this reward and who explained this even more? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He explained that this ziyada, this more, is the honor of looking at the face of Allah, the Most High. And this is reported in Sahih Muslim and in that hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unravels the veil and people would not be given anything better than and more beloved to them than the actual looking at Allah's face subhanahu wa ta'ala and then the Prophet ﷺ, when he mentioned in this hadith, then he recited this verse which you see, 26. لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُ الْحُسْنَى وَزِيَادَةً So this ziyada, which means even more, the Prophet ﷺ explained it to be the looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's take another example. Surah Al-Anfal, chapter 8, verse 60. Explaining the Quran by the Sunnah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَعِدُّوا لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ قُوَّةِ In this verse, 8.60. And make ready against them all you can of power. The Prophet ﷺ explained this term quwa, power in the hadith which is reported in Muslim and others the hadith of Uqba bin Amr may Allah be pleased with him he explained it as ar-rami which means archery arrow throwing Quwa, this power. He, the Prophet ﷺ, explained it by saying, Ala inna al-quwwata rami Verily, the power is archery, arrow-throwing. And, you know, this takes the form of arrow-throwing then, and it takes the form of all, uh, yani, the steeds of war in our times, and in the future times, whether it's going to be missiles, artillery, rockets, uh, tanks, you name it. All of this is from the power. So these are two examples as to the explanation of the 
sunnah to the Quran of the Quran. The, the sunnah explaining the Quran. The third reference is the sayings of the companions. May Allah be pleased with them. Especially those of knowledge from them. And not only of knowledge those who were really had keen interest in tafsir. Because generally we know due to the reason that the Quran was revealed in their language and during their lifetime and that they are the most truthful of mankind concerning seeking the truth and most safe from following desires after the prophets and they are the purest from pure from seeking oppositions and discourse which would stand between the person and attaining the truth this is because al-ma'asi because sins is a barrier between the person and between understanding the truth and this is a very important matter what is the evidence for this the evidence is in surah al-ma'idah chapter 5 verse 13 because of their breach of their covenant we cursed them and made their hearts grow hard they changed the words from their right places and have abandoned a good part of the message that was sent to them and you will not cease to discover deceit in them except a few of them this concerning the Jews So because of their grave sins, a barrier between them and attaining the truth and success in attaining what is correct was set between them and that. Also we, we read also in the Quran something also very relevant to this. قال الله تعالى إن سورة المطففين سورة المطففين verse 14 سورة المطففين verse 14 قال الله تعالى كلا بل ران على قلوبهم ما كانوا يكسبون nay but on their hearts is the run which is covering of sins and evil deeds which they used to earn so we should really give this our utmost concern in the sense that sins stand as a barrier between the person and attaining the correct knowledge. And there are many, many examples concerning the tafsir based upon the explanation of the companions
Let's take for example the following verse. Please uh, don't give attention to these things here. Um, take for example the following verse in Surah Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse 6. قال الله تعالى وإن كنتم مرضى أو على سفر أو جاء أحد منكم من الغائط أو لامستم النساء لامستم النساء أوكي Now, if وَإِنْ كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَى أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ Okay, that's it. But if you are ill, or on a journey, or any of you comes from answering the call of nature, or you have been in contact with women, okay, Ibn Abbas, Explains the meaning of contacting woman. He explained that this contact means the actual sexual intercourse. Then in this case, and you find no water, then perform tayammum, dry ablution with clean earth, and rub there with your faces and hands. So Ibn Abbas' explanation made it clear as to what is intended by the term la mastum, got in contact with. Got in contact with women. This contact is actual sexual intercourse. So, the explanation of the companions is a reference, especially those of knowledge of them and those who had interest in tafsir. So, this is, this is the third reference. The fourth reference. The fourth reference is the sayings of the successors to the companions, their students from At-Tabi'een who were concerned with the tafsir, taking the tafsir from the companions, may Allah be pleased with them. Because the Tabi'een are the best of mankind after the companions and more safe from following desires from those after them. And the Arabic language then, at their times, did not change too much. And so it was, فَكَانُوا And thus they were closer to the truth in understanding the Qur'an, more than those who came after them. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah said, If the, ta- if the successors to the companions are in agreement about a matter, then there is no doubt that this stance of theirs concerning this matter is a hujjah, is a proof, is a evidence. And if they differ concerning a matter, then the saying of each one of them cannot stand to be a proof against the other, nor against those who are after them. 
in this respect we refer to the language of the Quran this is the Arabic or the Sunnah or the general understanding of the Arabic or to the saying of the Sahaba concerning this particular matter then he added this important benefit I would like you to give it your best attention inshallah he added the following benefit he said anyone who turns away from the way of the companions and their successors and their tafsir to that which opposes it then he is he has erred in that rather he innovated in that even though he may be striving to reach the conclusion and forgiven for his mistake then he said anyone who opposes their sayings and explains the Quran in opposition to their sayings then indeed he committed an error in the evidence and in what it entails the fifth reference what's necessitated from the legal meanings or linguistic meanings as defined by the context of the verse what's entailed by the words from the legal or the linguistic meanings in accordance with the context where these words fall in for example Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in this respect إِنَّا أَنْزَلْنَا إِنَّا أَنْزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ لِتَحْكُمَ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ بِمَا أَرَاكَ اللَّهِ In chapter 4, verse 105 Surely we have sent down to you, O Muhammad, the book, the Quran in the truth that you might judge between men by that which Allah has shown you has taught you through divine inspiration so be not a pleader for the treacherous so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him the book to judge between men by that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown him another one to this point which I am talking about, I would like to repeat here, inshallah, so that you follow where I'm going. Uh, this matter is, we refer to what is necessitated by the wording 
from the legal meanings or linguistic meanings in context. The evidences are the following, 4105 and also 433. We verily have made it the Qur'an in Arabic that you may be able to understand its meaning and its admonitions. Also as evidence for this, for this uh, fifth reference, is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ibrahim verse 4, chapter 14, verse 4 Chapter 14, verse 4 And we sent not a messenger except with the language of his people in order that he might make the message clear for them So what happens if what happens if the legal meaning is different from the linguistic meaning? Then we take by the legal meaning because the Quran has been revealed to explain the legality of matters, not to explain the linguistics of matters. Unless there is unless there is an evidence by which the linguistic meaning takes precedence. I would repeat, if the legal meaning and the linguistic meaning are different from each other, then we take by that which is necessitated by the legal meaning, because the Quran, as you saw in the reference there, 4105, was sent down to clarify the legal aspects of matters, not to explain, not to explain the linguistics unless there is evidence that will give more weight to the linguistic meaning than in that respect we take by it. Let's take an example. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning the hypocrites. وَلَا تُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ مَاتَ أَبَدًا In Surah At-Tawbah, chapter 9, verse 84 Chapter 9, verse 84 وَلَا تُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ مَاتَ أَبَدًا Salah, don't make salah on any one of them ever from the hypocrites who dies and never pray for any of them uh, hypocrites who dies طيب. linguistically salah means dua linguistically salah means dua meaning invocation this is from the linguistic meaning however from the legal meaning here is to stand by 
in the funeral prayer and invoke Allah for him in a special manner this is the meaning of salah here and in this respect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade the Prophet sallam to do it for the hypocrites and never pray here the funeral prayer for any one of them so in this respect therefore which meaning we should give more weight I ask you now please which meaning we should give more weight to the linguistic meaning of salah or the legal meaning that came in this context this is a question here inshallah if you if you are following which one should we should take takes precedence here the legal of course yes the legal meaning in this respect Let's take now another example. Two different meanings in which the legal meaning is given more weight by a proof, by a proof, meaning based upon evidence. Let's take this. In Surah Tawbah 103, 9 103. خذ من أموالهم صدقة تطهرهم وتزكيهم بها وصل عليهم صل عليهم صلاة make صلاة upon them صل عليهم look now how the how the linguistic meaning now is taking more weight take صدقة arms from their wealth in order to purify them and sanctify them with it and make صلاة وصل عليهم and perform صلاة here the meaning of salah here is means the dua, it means the linguistic meaning. Why did we resort to the linguistic meaning here? And it is said invoke Allah to mean the dua. Because there is an evidence in Sahih Muslim from Abdullah bin Abi Awfa who said that the Prophet ﷺ whenever a sadaqah whenever the sadaqah of some people came except that he sallallahu alaihi wasallam invoked Allah for them and he said Abdullah bin Awfa he said Abdullah bin Abi Awfa said fa'atahu abi my father came with his sadaqah with his alms to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said allahumma salli على على آل أبي أوفا look oh Allah صلي على آل أبي أوفا here he is invoking Allah سبحانه وتعالى because Allah commanded him to do so where here 
those who give the sadaqah, take the sadaqah from their wealth in order to purify them, and sanctify them with it, and salli alayhim, and the Prophet said, Allahumma salli ala ali abi awfa. So here it is an invocation. And salah in invocation when you say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad or Allah have your salah upon Muhammad this is a dua. And in this we call Allah, we invoke him to praise the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the highest heaven and before the uh, angels in the highest heaven. So here we resorted to the meaning clearly giving weight to the linguistic meaning because of the proof in the sunnah that came in the evidence by the hadith of Abdullah bin Abi Awfa. Now, so this takes the second situation where in the first situation we wanted sneakers, hello. <laughs> In the first, the, when there is a difference between the legal and the linguistic meaning, we take by the legal meaning, especially when there is no proof to substantiate or to give weight to the linguistic meaning. And due to the fact that originally the legal meaning is to be taken by because the revelation came to make clear that which is legal, not that which is linguistic. The second situation, there is weight given to the linguistic meaning in some cases based upon a proof that it is to be the one taken in context of the verse or the text. Now, the third situation, when there is agreement between the legal meaning and the linguistic meaning, and this is plenty. As-sama, al-ard, heavens, the earth, as-sidq wal-kadib, Truthfulness and lying, man and stones, all of these things are known. And there is plenty, plenty. The Quran is filled with the um, with the, with the both meanings, the legal and the linguistic meaning in agreement. The Quran is filled with that. Is there any question so far concerning the material that was covered? Is there any question so far concerning the material that was covered? Is there any question concerning the material that you want over? We go now to the following topic. The differences in tafsir. The differences in tafsir. 
the differences in the tafsir related to us is of three types the differences of the tafsir in the tafsir related to us is of three types first type differences in wording but not in meaning meaning there is agreement in meaning but using different words and thus this aspect it does not really affect the meaning it does not affect the meaning of the ayah of the verse let's take an example let's take an example take Surah Al-Isra chapter 17 verse 23 وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّهِ قَضَى And your Lord قَضَى Here it said decreed, okay? And your Lord has And your Lord has Okay, let's put it this way And Your Lord Has And your Lord قَضَى Use the original word and your and your Lord Qada. Ibn Abbas Rahimahullah Ta'ala Anhu Ibn Abbas may Allah be pleased with him said that the meaning of Qada is Amara meaning ordained. This is one tafsir, okay? Mujahid this is Ibn Abbas, okay? So let's write down Ibn Abbas said Qada means ordained. Okay, great. Now Mujahid, one of the great scholars of Tafsir, Rahimahullah, Mujahid said Allah willed. Rabi'a bin Anas said Allah made it dutiful awjaba dutiful all of these explanations dutiful, willed and ordained have the same meaning or very close in meaning and therefore such a difference quote unquote has no effect concerning the meaning of the verse is that clear this is the first type of difference in tafsir the first type of differences in tafsir is there is difference in wording but not in meaning there is agreement in meaning with different usage of different words is that clear inshallah so far Is that clear so far? The second type of difference 
difference in wording and in meaning difference in wording and in meaning and the verse may accommodate the two meanings because of no opposition between them in this case the verse is to be taken to accommodate both meanings and we explain it by both meanings and each one of the sayings will be like you give an example for something so this will be a type of variation let's take an example for that let's take the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَتْلُ عَلَيْهِمْ نَبَأَ الَّذِي آتَيْنَاهُ آيَاتِنَا فَانْسَلَخَ مِنْهَا فَأَتْبَعَهُ الشَّيْطَانِ فَكَانَ مِنَ الْغَاوِينَ وَلَوْ شِئْنَا لَرَفَعْنَاهُ بِهَا ولكنه أخلد إلى الأرض واتبع هواه This is in سورة الأعراف 175 Al-A'raf 175 Watlu alayhim naba'a alladhi ataynahu ayatina fansalakha minha fa'atba'ahu ash-shaytan and recite O Muhammad to them the story of him to whom we gave our ayat proofs, evidences etc but he threw them away so shaytan, satan followed him up and he became of those who went astray <coughs> Ibn Mas'ud may Allah be pleased with him he said this is a man from the children of Israel he said that this refers to a man from the children of Israel Ibn Abbas may Allah be pleased with him and his father said Rajulun min ahlil Yemen a man from the people of Yemen and also it was said that he was a man from Ahlil Balqa and Al Balqa is a city in the greater Syria area so how can we reconcile these sayings how they are reconciled that in this way the verse this verse 175 will apply upon all the sayings because it can accommodate all the sayings without opposition and each saying will be like giving an example that is Ibn Abbas relates what he heard 
that it goes to a concerning a man from the people of Yemen and that it was in the case of Abdullah bin Mas'ud that it goes to this man from the children of Israel it refers to this man from the children of Israel so the ayah applies to all of them and in each one it would be like giving an example and this variation is not a variation of opposition another example is the saying in Surah An-Naba 78 verse 34 وَكَأْسًا وَكَأْسًا means cup and a full cup Ibn Abbas said dihaqa meaning filled he said كَأْسًا dihaqa and a full cup of wine meaning filled with طيب and مُجَاهِد he said successive cups one after the other and عِكْرِمَة another مُفَسِّر said صَافِيَة pure and there is no contradiction between these sayings and the verse can comprise them all and each will be like a type with respect to the other this is the second type therefore of ikhtilaf of difference let's go to the third type of ikhtilaf of difference difference in words and in meaning and the verse cannot accommodate the meanings because of opposition between them in this case the verse is to be taken with that meaning with the preponderating meaning as indicated by the contest by the context or otherwise I will repeat so in this case we resort to preponderating one of the meanings as indicated by the context of the verse or otherwise and the second meaning is not taken into account because of the impossibility of reconciling the two opposite meanings let's take an example in Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 173 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says إِنَّمَا حُرِّمَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَيْتَةُ وَالدَّمُ وَلَحْمُ الْخِنْزِيرِ وَمَا أُهِلَّ لِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ بِهِ فَمَنِ اضْطُرَّ غَيْرَ بَاغٍ وَلَا عَادٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ 
in the very beginning here he has forbidden you only the mayta the mayta meaning the dead animals and blood and the flesh of swine and that which is slaughtered as a sacrifice for others than Allah or has been slaughtered for idols etc but if one is forced by necessity but if one is forced by necessity okay here Ibn Abbas said without disobedience concerning the dead animals and without transgressing the limits in eating and you eat only from the dead animal what would be suffice for him to save his life not exceed the limits so Ibn Abbas therefore here was talking about this necessity he explained it to be conditional without willful disobedience without willful disobedience you know he goes to the dead animal willingly or or nor transgressing in eating more than what he needs in order to survive if this is the only thing that he can find to save his himself from destruction this is one meaning another meaning it was said that this that this person who غير خارج على الإمام ولا عاص بسفره that this refers to someone who is not rebelling against the Imam the leader of Muslims nor seeking to commit sinful acts in his trouble see these two opposite meanings totally So the preponderating opinion which is relevant to the subject or the context of the verse is the first meaning of Ibn Abbas because there is no proof in the verse to substantiate this latter meaning the one who is rebelling against the Imam or traveling for sinful acts because what is referred to concerning the necessity here is to repel is giving permission made lawful for the people to do in order to save their own destruction under such necessity so the other meaning therefore is totally in opposition to the meaning which is very close to the context of the verse
and therefore this other meaning cannot be accommodated here take another example and we end by this example for tonight inshallah concerning this subject take for example in Surah Al-Baqarah 2 237 where I wrote it for in the banner 237 Yes فنصف ما فرضتم إلا أن يعفون أو يعفو الذي بيده عقدة النكاح and if you divorce them before you have touched meaning before you have sexual relation with them okay and you have appointed unto them the mahr then pay half of that mahr to them unless they okay forget about the woman unless they agree to forge to forego it okay forget about the explanation of the woman here it said unless they agree to forego it Ali bin Abi Talib may Allah be pleased with him said that the one in whose hands is the marriage tie let's follow the verse here unless they agree to, forge, to forego it or he forget about the husband in whose hands is the marriage tie Ali bin Abi Talib may Allah be pleased with him explained that the one in whose hands is the marriage tie is the husband and Ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, said, He is the guardian, Al-Wali. The preponderating opinion is that of Ali bin Abi Talib. That the one in whose hand is the marriage tie is the husband. This is the context. Not only that, there is a hadith to this effect. And also then in the beginning, except they, except they, okay, unless they agree to forge it, unless they agree to forge it. Here, the meaning, the correct meaning definitely is that, the woman who can forgo, forgo the mahar, they can drop it. Because the wali, the guardian, cannot drop the right of the woman, do not forego, cannot forego the right of the woman concerning her sidaq, her mahr, her dowry. Except, except with an exception, that he, the wali, the guardian, is the father, and there is disagreement concerning this. So the correct opinion then that, as you have seen it in the original text, unless they, meaning the woman, agree to forego it, to forego the mahr. In case, if you divorce them before you have touched them, in sexual relation with them, legal, 
and you have appointed unto them the mahar, the dowry, then pay half of that mahar unless they forego it, meaning the woman, and this is the preponderating opinion. I hope inshallah these matters are clear. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So, uh, let me know if you have any questions.